Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Suzanne. Welcome to The Courage Effect. So in my professional life and just in my overall life, I have had the opportunity to work with and meet a number of remarkable leaders. And I'm really honored to say that my guest on today's show is one of those remarkable leaders. She is somebody that I worked with um, as a consultant. We, I did a large change management project. We actually worked together for almost two years. And um, it was doing work for a company called Juno Therapeutics, which is now part of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, and it was a large technology platform that was for their cell therapy products. They actually do CAR-T cancer treatment, which is when they actually take blood and they make cancer drugs out of a patient's blood. It is mind-blowing, it is amazing, and it takes amazing people to actually bring this technology to life. And Cindy is one of these people, not just in the work that she's done and how impactful it is, but throughout all of my exchanges with her, she was consistently curious, energizing, compassionate, and real. My guest today is Cindy Elkins. Cindy is a leader, board member, speaker, and advocate. She often describes her professional career as a Rubik's Cube, with the sides being her career in high tech and then biotech, her senior executive roles being a board director, and finally, her incredibly competitive nature while leading from the heart. Cindy is a mom to two amazing twin college women, Crystal and Chase, and she and her partner, Elena, have been together for 25 years. As an advocate, or what she calls a torchbearer, which I love, Cindy has dedicated her time to five boards of directors, and the torches that she carries today are about neuromodulation as a treatment for depression, art, healing, and loneliness, and blood donation. And Cindy is tapping into her courage once again to do things she have never done. And that's one of the things that I also love about Cindy is she's she's never done. She's always doing something new. Cindy, welcome to The Courage Effect. Thanks, Suzanne. Super excited to be with you. Uh, well, so as I said, you have you had a serious impact on me as as somebody in my life and somebody in my work. You you always showed up as you, but you were never you were always so open and really and truly listening to everybody that was around you. And I think it takes a lot of courage to show up like that every day. So talk to me, talk to me a little bit about that, how courage showed up really in your life as a leader. Yeah. Um so uh, I, the simplest answer is there was a period in my life where I was not open at work. And um, that's because I'm gay. And um, early in my career, not like in the, you know, 90s, late 80s, even the early 2000s, um, that just wasn't talked about, honestly, at work, even here in the Bay Area. And um, I always felt like I was hiding something because I was right. Mm -hmm. And so when I um, and I think to be a leader, you have people have got to trust you. They have to trust that you're telling them the truth and they have to trust that when you can't tell them the whole story, that you will at least tell them that. 
So for example, I mean, I think probably so many of your listeners have been through a time as a leader, let's say where you're doing a layoff, let's get really, really yeah. blunt about it. And you as a leader are holding information that others don't have. And, and you hold it with, with great um, intention and compassion. Um, but it's such a difficult time to be walking in your halls with your team in meetings, thinking to yourself, oh my God, I know something you don't know, and it could affect your life. Um, and so I, even in those situations, I, can, I would build such a level of trust with my teams because I really did start living my entire life out loud with them, whether it was uh, raising kids. Um, if I came to work grumpy, I'm like, look, it was a tough morning at home. <laughs> Like it just didn't work. Um, and I don't want to bring that grumpiness to you, but I, it's hard not to. Um, but I would stand in front of my teams and say, look, you know me, you trust me. I can't answer that question right now. And they would, you know, it's not what they want to hear, but they knew that I, I would when I could. And so I think building that level of authenticity is a very popular word lately, but just being you and being comfortable being you all the time, all day, is one of the true um, true things we need to be as leaders. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I really like how you worded that language too, because it's I, I've been there. I've been in those meetings and you don't want to lie to people. And it's, no. I know. And, it, and I think it also gives them insight into what you're dealing with. So at the same time, yeah. there's that shared compassion. I totally agree. I, I, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, it was so odd in some way. They'd be like, Cindy, are you okay? And I'm like, oh my God, this isn't about me. I'm just trying to be like <laughs> yeah. open. Um, but it, yeah, if you can connect at a completely different level with people, and genuinely listen. I think that's one of the skills that I underestimated in my career um, was just how intently I can listen to people. They have my full attention. And I think that's something that is pretty scarce these days. So that's so true. And I would say, yeah. yes, I always I always feel like I'm being listened to from you. So thank you for that. Because that makes a massive difference. hundred oh, percent. Well, and you talk about coming out at work. I mean, was that, when did you decide to just be more, more truthful about being gay? <laughs> Funny question, Suzanne. Uh, when I got pregnant. Oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Funny enough, that seemed like the time it was really start, time to share. Um, yeah, so that would have been end of 2003. Um, and, you know, I, I like everybody. It, it's so funny. I was I did a talk with somebody else a while back of like being gay now is like not a big deal. Like, you know, Cindy, what was your big, you know, woo? Today that would be like, okay, great, good for you. Uh, but back in the day, it was it was really difficult for me. I thought, um, but um, you know, and and that in and of itself, talk about courage. So. I managed a team in Latin America when I was at Genentech, and I recall very vividly, um, again, having to decide how much of my whole life I would share, um, because in some of the Latin American countries, um, they're not as accepting, um, and it can actually border on being dangerous. And I had a, an employee in, down there, and 
um, actually come to me afterwards and he shared, he said, I can't believe you just shared that, Cindy, that I, I am gay too, but um, I, I could never share that at work. I would fear for my life. So, you know, I think as hard as my coming out here was, I, I, I can understand for others, it is literally a matter of life and death. And I think perhaps we can lose sight of that as well. Yeah, it's a really good point. And also just the international nature of that too, right? Because with all the different cultures and it can mean a lot. Totally, totally. But I did, I mean, to, that was probably one of the first torches that I, I chose to bear. And it was, um, it was a significant decision. And, um, a lot of people, um, I think I helped a lot of people and a lot of people I don't even know I helped by standing in front of an organization of over a thousand people, part of a very large multinational company at Roshan Genentech and sharing my story. And it, it gave others the license and room to invite them if they chose to share theirs as well. So that was one of my earliest torches that I chose to chose to bear. So important, so important to be in the spotlight as who you are. And so talk to me about the torchbearer. I mean, I know that we've talked about this in the past, but um, how how did that get on your radar as far as a phrase and just, you know, share share that with our audience? So I was reading Nancy Duarte's book, Illuminate. I love her work about, you know, turning the complex into the simple and all about storytelling and visual uses. I'm a very visual learner and stuff like that. And there was an intro in one of her books that it's literally called The Torchbearer's Calling. And I just, I mean, to this day, I, I have it laminated in front of me. I used it at Juno. I use it constantly. Um, and I think what it really spoke to me in a way was um, just what it means to be a torchbearer. Um, I can read it really quickly. The future is a formless void, a blank space waiting to be filled, and then a torchbearer envisions a new possibility. That vision is your dream, your calling, and it burns like a fire in your belly. But you can't create the future alone. You need travelers to come along. Yet the path through the unknown is dark and unclear. You have to illuminate the path for travelers. Torchbearers communicate in a way that conquers fear and inspires hope. Some say being a torchbearer is a burden. Some say it is a blessing. Either way, those who light the path are the ones who change the world. And that, it just speaks to me every day and has been um, the foundation of really this transition I'm going through in my own personal and professional career. Um, to seek the next torches I will carry, and to tap into the honor that it is to be in a place where I can stand up and step in for others um, and hopefully change the world. I mean, the world needs some changing. Yes. Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) High five. (laughs) Yes, definite high five. High high 10. (laughs) Exactly. it's it's such a beautiful passage, and um, and it what really strikes me is your commitment to others, not just doing it for yourself, but also having that that broader cascade, that cascade of courage and impact. Yes, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, as a leader, um, I am, I am nothing if not what my teams have created. And I know we are, they're like you're amazing, and I'm like, well, you're amazing, and. 
but you know, my goal was always to create a place where people could do their best work. And I meant that like do work you have never thought you were capable of doing. And Suzanne, I, I mean, I saw you light up. You did things for us that I'm, I mean, I was like dancing in the halls. So um, that, that has set my foundation for how to now take these new quests on. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and you lit, we, we lit each other up. And that's one of the great things is that it is that sort of larger, you know, I mean, courage is contagious, but so is great work. And so is inspiring people and having the passion to bring them along on the journey with you. Totally agree. I love it. Well, we're going to cut to a break. I'd love to transition into more of your torches, your advocacy work and the work that you're doing right now. So you are listening to The Courage Effect with Suzanne. We will be right back. Courage takes on many forms. I believe that one of the most courageous things that we can do is recognize when we need help and seek out support. Is something interfering with your happiness or keeping you from achieving your goals? If you're going through a hard time, possibly struggling with depression or anxiety, therapy can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible. It's an online platform where you can be matched with a professional therapist in as little as a few days just by filling out a few questions. I know from personal experience that finding a therapist and the right fit can be really difficult. With BetterHelp, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. For more information and to sign up to get matched with a therapist, go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash courage. Visiting this link both supports the show and gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with better help. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and my guest today is Cindy Elkins. So Cindy, as a torchbearer, as we're talking about really, you know, inviting others to, to be on a journey with us and really um, representing a cause, I know that one that is really um, near and dear to your heart and one that you're actually really advocating quite actively for right now is transcranial magnetic stimulation, or also known as TMS. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, the story starts uh, with one of our twin girls um, uh, preceding COVID, but certainly accentuated by COVID, being di diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. And um, we were just at a complete loss. I had never seen a disease so completely encompass um, certainly one of our daughters but really anyone in my life. And um, we went on a multi-year search for uh, treatments, um, something that would give her relief, um, quick relief, let's say side effect free relief, um, not make things worse relief. Yeah. And um, we tried a lot of things. Uh, we did talk therapy, we did antidepressants. And I say we, I mean our daughter. And um, we're starting to share her story quite broadly um, because we believe that we came upon a treatment that had just read out in a clinical trial um, that ultimately changed her life for the better for, for now and hopefully forever. Um, it's called transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. I had never heard of it. It was FDA cleared in 2008 as a treatment for depression. I'm like, how in the world could we have not found this sooner? Um, it uses magnets 
to stimulate a depressed brain, which is shown to have, you know, latency or dormancy in certain parts of the brain. I mean, it just made total sense when I read more about it. It's like the brain is an electrical, amazing organ. And what if depression is an electrical problem, not a chemical problem? So the experts in the field talk about talk therapy is 1.0, uh, antidepressants are 2.0 and neuromodulation and using, uh, let's say, magnetic fields is 3.0 for the treatment of severe depression, uh, if not general depression. Um, huge advocate. My daughter and I have started an advocacy group to raise awareness, to raise access to this treatment. It is like the best kept secret in mental health. And I, I can't understand why more people haven't heard of it. So I'm on this torch, I am extremely passionate about given the mental health crisis in young adults and yeah. um, the assault on them. I'd never heard about it until you, until I saw that you had mentioned it. Um, yeah. And then I, I, saw, I watched the Today piece with, with your daughter. So, and what she'd been through yes. and it's fascinating to see the treatment and it's done at Stanford. Is that where the... So it's done throughout the country. There are two different types of schedules. Um, it's non-invasive. It's non-drug. Um, a device is set adjacent to your head, your scalp. And again, it just pulses a magnetic field into this particular um, part of your brain to essentially rejuvenate, reconnect. These are my layperson definitions. I am not a doctor. <laughs> I'm no, surrounded by doctors on this. but. Um, uh, no side effects except maybe a headache, uh, but maybe not even a headache. Um, it seemed for us and Chase's experience, it seems durable, meaning that um, the improvement that she received uh, is lasting. Again, I just when I, I look in the rearview mirror and I think, wow, there that was. And then all the antidepressants. I could go on a complete soapbox about that. But let's just say I really hope that people at least check out um, TMS, Google it, search it, look for a clinic near you. It is covered by insurance. If it's not, find a practitioner that can help you get through that process. Um, you could feel better in, as soon as four weeks. Chase felt better in five days, given the accelerated schedule she was on. Five days. She had been suffering for two, over two years and she showed improvement in five days. I mean, I was just blown away. I'm like, I have to tell everyone about this. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> There's the torch. <laughs> There's the torch. Exactly. And it must exactly. have taken some courage for, for her and for all of you as a family to really decide to move forward with something that was, you know, I mean, still in clinical trial, even though it's FDA approved. 100%. This particular schedule, the trial readout was uh, the end of the trial was about 29, 14 in active treatment, 15 in sham, I believe. And the, But the results were so stunning on the active arm that they stopped the trial. Um, it was so phenomenal. But she was 17 when she started and we made a very, it was a big family conversation, but ultimately yeah. it was her decision. It's her brain. Yeah. And I believe that neuroplasticity of a young brain was going to work in her favor. But also as a parent, I thought, oh, my God, I could be changing her brain structure for the rest of her life. But um, it worked. <laughs> it worked. It has worked. I mean, it has, you know, between a 70 and 80 percent remission rate broadly. Yeah. Um, 
our quest is that it could be first line treatment, but at a minimum, I kind of just say, why not TMS? If you're looking for relief for yourself or a loved one, I would give it a chance. It's, it's definitely worth a chance. So. It's amazing. Well, we'll include a link yeah. on, on the show notes and Thank you. on the site so people can get to it. So Perfect. definitely. Thank well, you. I know too, that one of the, one of the other causes, I mean, loneliness, and I know that you've been part yes. of the loneliness project and, um, and that seems to be getting more visibility, thankfully, because of the pandemic, because I think I know I mean, it, it is an epidemic undoubtedly. It so t- talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, loneliness, it, I think it's, it's moment in time. Our founder of our foundation for the art and healing has been doing this for 20 years to raise awareness around loneliness and the power of the arts. But now you see it everywhere. Uh, the Surgeon General wrote about it. The World Health Organization has written about it recently. Dr. Ruth was named the loneliness ambassador of New York. Like it's time, right? And I think folks are really feeling it. Um, but the question is, what do you do about it? Yeah. So um, at this, at our foundation, it really is using the arts to, um, again, really rewire our brains and allows us to tell our story of loneliness and recon- and connect with others. So it's just using the arts again as a way to reestablish the connections. Um, our founder, Dr. Jeremy Nobel, defines loneliness as the difference between the number of social connections you think you're supposed to have and the number of connections you do have. And if that's just like, I should have a hundred friends, Suzanne, and I have two. You may still feel lonely because you're like, well, and I think social media exacerbates that certainly for the young as they're now the loneliest, 18 to 25 year olds are now the loneliest demographic we have. I mean, it is heartbreaking. And you think, oh, they're all connected and they're doing things and they're constantly snapping and thotting and thotting. No. They're very, very lonely. And so how do we use this connection uh, through the arts um, just to do art together? We run workshops and community settings. It's super simple. And just to get back to kind of like another way to express my story, to express where I think I am, to connect on something we share, which could be loneliness. And then to to not feel alone, honestly, <laughs> is yeah. the headline. So yeah. Well, and it, it really strikes me, loneliness is, I mean, there's a lot of shame associated to it, right? I think that people don't want to, they don't want to own that they're lonely. Well, funny story. So Dr. Nobel's written a book, um, Project on Lonely, Healing Our Crisis of Disconnection. Great book. It's on Amazon. But I bought 25 of them. And I'm like, I'm going to, because I'm on the board, I'm the co-chair of the board. And I'm like, I'm going to send these out. And, and, and we were talking, it's like, well, the, you know, if someone receives a book on loneliness, are you telling them they're lonely? And exactly to your point, I'm like, I never thought of that. I'm not, maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know. I was. Can just I just say for book. the record, as a recipient, it was one of those books from you. I did not take that as a bad thing. <laughs> Bravo. Very good. I know. I'm like, I'm just going to get the book out. So, um, but you're, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, how hard is it to say to someone, Suzanne, I think I'm lonely. Right. And then to be met with what? Right. And it's not like, oh, go sit in a crowd, you know, go go talk to somebody at Starbucks. I mean, it is some micro tasks you can do around it, but just having an open conversation about, well, what does that feel like? You know, when did you start feeling lonely? So, yeah. Yeah. And in all of your board work, what, what are the biggest challenges for you? Where do you really bring your own courage torch to the table? 
Yes. Uh, fundraising. Mm. So I, when I was in my big girl career job, uh, you know, I could go ask for $150 million inside a large company with, without blinking an eye. Um, but now I'm having to fundraise and, um, that's been really hard for me. I, I am still trying to figure out how to do it and what motivates people to donate. Um, and I've kind of, where I've kind of gotten to is, well, number one, I have to share my own story and why if it kind of goes back to where we started, if people trust me and know me and then i invite them to just learn a little bit more about what's important to me right now that's i think my quest yeah this invitation and kind of sharing my why why is this important to me right now and how can you help and sometimes that help is a, a financial donation of any size um and the second way to help is uh, to spread the word through your own network. Um, you know, I'm going to post later this week on LinkedIn more about TMS. And one of my requests is please repost this on your own network. I need the Clairol commercial to come to life. I need people to tell two friends yeah. and I need them to tell two friends. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that's, but it's hard for me because I, I know. I think everyone's really busy or they have their own quests or they're doing their own thing or they're passionate about their own stuff. But I guess where I've gotten to is just like, Cindy, just tell your story, share your why and make the request and people will meet you there or not. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and you are so good at that and um, at advocating and, and speaking mm -hmm. up and, and doing it from a place of, I mean, it's, you know, it's real. It, you're not just doing it to do it. Um, Cindy, thank, thank you. you thank that. you for all of the work that you do. Thank you for being here today. Um, a couple of things that I heard you talk about is really, you know, to be a leader, people have to trust you. And that goes into advocacy work and larger influencing. And the cascade goes beyond just your acts. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, email me, um, Elkins E-L-K-I-N-S-01 at gmail.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. That's my big place. I'm I'm building an Instagram followership, but wow, is that hard? Let's go LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. We'll make sure that those links are, are on the website. Cindy, thank, thank you. you. Such a pleasure to have you as a guest. Totally agree, Suzanne. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care of yourselves. Stay courageous.